travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. The movies. Yes! 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 Oh! 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 I'll have what she's having. And the parties. No one in my family ever drinks. That's great. You've probably never run out of ice your whole life. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in the library. <laughs> Today we talk to an You threw me off. But today we talk to an author of a new book about our beloved decade called Bread Bags and Bullies Surviving the 80s. Symmetrical book stacking, just like the Philadelphia Man's Turbulence of 1947. You're right, no human being would stack books like this. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. So it feels kind of weird having a show start without any music, but it's a podcast about a book, and yeah, the way the yeah. copyright laws work these days, it's better. We walk, we walk the fair use line pretty closely as it is, so it's best to not uh, not provide too much temptation. So anyway, here's the backstory. I think it was about a year ago I got contacted by a fellow named Steve Manchester, who had finished a book that, and I, he had a different name for it then. I think it was. Winter of 1984. So it was. It, it was. It had yeah. a very kind of more of a generic name to it. And he asked me to to write a forward for it, which I did, or an endorsement. I guess is is probably the more accurate yeah. description. Uh, and he gave me a few chapters to read, and I, I liked what I read. And I was like, "This is cool." When you're done, let me know, and we'll get you on the show. Well, fast forward to today, and uh, Stephen Manchester will join the show. He has written more than two dozen books over the years, but his latest book. As we mentioned before, it's called Bread Bags and Bullies Surviving the 80s. And it's loosely based on a spring storm in 1984 and his own life. But it's a piece of fiction uh, that's rich with its uh, setting in the 80s. So, Steve, when you told me we were going to be talking to this guy, I got on the Amazon where all books apparently come from now. And uh, as it turns out, it's included with the Kindle Unlimited. So I downloaded it, read it. Really enjoyed it. Took me a couple of evenings to get through it. It did not tax my brain unduly. It was a lovely way to unwind at the end of the day. I would put this in the beach read category, not in the like you know Moby Dick category. But you know, how many times do you really want to read Moby Dick? <laughs> I never read Moby Dick, so call me Ishmael. It's a number of years ago. Never mind how many. That's about as much of it as I know. The uh, I've read I've read almost all of it now, but I, I was kind of taken with the beginning because he's got this little device that kind of reminds me, and I and I said this to him. You'll hear it during the interview. It reminds me of the beginning of Somewhere in Time, where Christopher Reeve has to kind of almost hypnotize himself, or he lets himself be hypnotized to travel back in time. And there's there's that feeling to the beginning of the book where he his mind slips from present day to 1984, and I I really appreciated the nod to that, that technique. It was nice. I'm very glad that you didn't mention that to me while I was reading it, because you know how I feel about somewhere in time. <laughs> yeah. You don't like it. I get that. It would have, it would have turned me off for sure. So sure. thank you for, thank you for keeping that one to yourself. But <laughs> I have to say, so this guy, this famous dude named Steve Spears wrote a little piece for the foreword word, but so did Thomas Dolby, Gerald Casale from Devo, 
Ivan Doroshuk, who's the lead singer of Men Without Hats, Billy Squire. Like, it's crazy the number yeah. of people who wrote blurbs for this. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's a who's who of the 80s who have given their endorsement to breadbags and bullies. Here's the cool news. We'll be giving away copies of the books to Seggy winners over the next couple of weeks, and we'll have a handful of the books to give away as prizes during Big 80s Trivia on board the 80s cruise in a couple of weeks. Uh, of course, you can still buy the book on Amazon.com, and I'm sure that's something that Steve would really appreciate. You bet. But, but before we get to that, here's my interview with author Stephen Manchester. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Steve Manchester. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Really excited here to be talking about your new book, Bread Bags and Bullies, Surviving the 80s. I got to admit, you know, I've been doing this podcast for 15 years now. So anyone who has a similar taste for the nostalgia as me, I, I definitely want to talk to them. Well, I, pre- I really do appreciate the opportunity to come on. Uh, it, it's been a fun project and it's definitely something I want to share with, you know, with, with your fan base. It's it's definitely a nostalgia fest. I I was trying to describe it to my girlfriend. I said it's kind of like a Christmas story meets somewhere in time, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, that, that's know. actually no, that's that's a fantastic um, analogy because I you know I this book was really written for my dad who passed away about a year and a half ago. He had a fantastic sense of humor, so this is a comedy. Uh, to your point, a nostalgia fest. But you know, he and I shared the love of that movie, A, a Christmas Story. Um, and what I wanted to do is really just, you know, write a book for him, uh, inspired by him and his comedy, and uh, but but place it in the '80s. It's, and this really is a love letter to to the 1980s. Now, what did your dad do for a living? He was, um, a, you know, blue collar guy, right? So he was a truck driver. He worked as a machinist. Um, usually worked two jobs to raise five kids. So uh, salt of the earth, and and really, this was a joy for me to be able to, to do this. So, so, so it, in many ways, I mean, when when I'm reading the book, I'm I feel like I'm reading a, a fictionalized version of your life. Is it right? I mean, was that kind of the intention? I mean, is there is there, is there a, a biographical timeline that runs through this? There is for sure. So what I did is, um, you know, I, you can only write about what you know, who you know, where you've been. So I, you know, I grew up with two brothers. Years later, we had a, a couple of sisters, same parents. Uh, but this is the essence of the book. Is is my brothers and I? I took the blizzard of '78 in New England brought it up to 1984 and what I did is I jam-packed it with you know all the food and fashion all, all the television shows and, and the films and the music uh, I, I thought it was a fantastic um, decade the 80s right and wild to grow up in so I wanted to jam jam everything into that and, and kind of have that carry the story along 1984 in particular like to me that's like the high water mark yes yes yeah it's i mean when you look at the films that came out and in uh you know even the top 40 stuff casey Kasem, would it was amazing every sunday the the, the music and and um you know mtv for me this generation we were on the cusp of technology right but social media was still getting on on the huffy or the schwinn and going to your next door neighbor to play so i think we had fantastic childhoods you know growing up in the 80s and and um you know, we weren't on our cell phones, that's for sure. So what, what year did you graduate high school? 86. Okay, so we're about the same age. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you, if you look back at that, at that time period, I mean, what, what, what to you were like, when someone like name checks the 80s, what, what, what's the first movie and the first 
band that kind of runs through your brain. Well, I, I was a, you know, a rocker, right? So I, I loved Billy Squire. I mean, I, even some of the softest stuff, Journey 4 and all that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, uh, Columbia Record and Tape Club, you know, I, I spent my penny. I got my seven and tried to figure out how to pay for the other four, right, over the two years. So yeah. I, I look at that with the – I mean, I think we were very, very lucky, even with the techno stuff. Some of the people look at our music. Um, but we were all over the place, which was fantastic. And as far as the films go um, – you know, I think some of the films that came out, they couldn't even make them today, right? Because they weren't politically correct. But uh, we were very fortunate, right? From Ghostbusters to Karate Kid. I mean, you know, the, you name it. Now, was that a challenge when you're writing the book? Because you're, you've chosen a specific time, you know, February 1984. Was was it something that you sort of sat down and said, okay, I've got to be sure that my my timeline stays intact and I don't mention anything that may have happened like, you know, in 1988. Yeah. yeah great question. So I work with a beta team, uh, a bunch of people that have been with me. I've been writing for 25 years. So, you know, I'll convene some folks. Here's the manuscript, you know, uh, kind of proof it out. And I had a friend come back to me on the, uh, originally in, in the original uh, manuscript on the bus, one of the kids calls the other guy Beetlejuice, right? And he said, listen, Beetlejuice didn't come out until 85, right? So it was one of those things where the fact-checking really was important. Yeah. I think it's 87, actually. But was I, it? I could, I could be wrong. But anyway, yeah. 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 It's one of those weird things. Because, I mean, I don't know. Do you watch the, the Goldbergs? I do. Absolutely do. Yeah. So they, they, they're kind of loose with the whole uh, time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it, drives me, it drove me crazy one time he was – he was going to go see Poltergeist in the theaters, but he had a Top Gun poster on the wall. I'm like, oh, uh, no, 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 no. can't do that. <laughs> Not going to happen. Yeah, I think uh, even with Stranger Things, they're probably a little more accurate, um, you know, with their setup. But uh, I, I think they take some liberties as well. I just didn't want to do that. I really wanted to be accurate for the, for the folks who are uh, diehard 80s people. Now, at what point do you think, once the 80s passed, you know, we all became adults and – had our real lives at what point do you think you hit the point where you started having like those real nostalgia uh pangs for the decade yeah i would say probably about i would say it's almost recent maybe five six years ago i know that you know years ago right you'd listen to the old east channel right and, and your mother or father would be like the 50s and then they'd roll into the 60s you know i, I put on the old east channel which is local to boston up here and um, it's the 80s Right. It's Thomas Dolby. It's it's you know what I mean? Bertie Higgins. So it's it's wild that and I, and I really I decided at that point now's the time to write this. Right. Because I can go back and, and relive it. And I truly did. I the research that I did from the food to the TV shows to all that stuff. Um, I went back. I based it in a, in a local setting. So it was, an e you know, an easy thing for me to write. Fictionalized the, the heck out of it. Right. So when you look at the entire book, my brothers would probably tell you, you know, 80% of it was fictionalized, which they might be somewhat accurate, but it was, I wanted it to be real and relatable to, to everybody that looked through it. I mean, obviously the bullying um, angle is a major plot line. Was that something that, I mean, you, you grew up in a different part of the country than I did. I grew up in Florida right. and uh, it was too hot to bully people for the most right. part. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, my impression, at least based on all the stereotypical Boston movies and New England movies, uh, is that yeah, it's probably yeah. not such a, a fallacy up there. Was that, was that part of your childhood? Yeah, no, you absolutely. Yeah. I was, you know, everybody was testing your metal, right? So when I first, you know, as a young man, I, I actually got a career in law enforcement. I worked in the prison system for about 10 years and, um, not nearly as terrifying as middle school was, right? Um, so it was it was really accurate. I mean, you know, and I grew up with two brothers, so we were constantly testing each other too. We were, 
probably just shy of animals, right? But um, and that that and that's the fun of it, Steve, right? Is is putting you know jamming these guys in in a house where it's like, oh my god, we get you know we got a week off and we're on vacation, and you get this nor'easter, and then all of a sudden cabin fever, you know, starts to turn violent, right? But the comedy is just built right into it. Yeah, yeah. No, we didn't in in Florida. We don't have snow days. We have hurricane days. Right. Right. So yeah. The That's only wild. the only time it ever snowed in Florida when I was growing up, I was in third grade. That was wow. until until last month. That was the only snow I'd seen in my life. Really. Oh my god! And I, I was up in New York when it started to snow, and I was just like, "This is great!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you shovel it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, so back to the book. The one thing that I kind of got addicted right from the start on, I got to admit, and I, and I kind of alluded to it a minute ago, is the the somewhere in time angle where there's this back and forth transition between the present and the past where your character is kind of slipping in and out of consciousness between thinking about the old days and then kind of snapping to and realizing where he is. And um, almost like the, the eighties are like beckoning your return. You're like, like a Netherland summoning Peter Pan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the the whole book starts off with, uh, so, so the main characters is, um, you know, we have Wally, uh, who was actually um, really? I, I named him after uh, Wally Cleaver, right? Um, you know, my brothers loved Leave It to Beaver. I mean, there was just you know reruns at the time, but so we have Wally, Herbie, and and the young guy is Cockroach. But Herbie's the protagonist, so you see everything through his uh, point of view. But you know, I, we started off in, in present day, and he's got two sons. One of them's being bullied. And the kid's like, you, you have no idea what this is like, Dad, this and that. And then it's just an easy way to flash back. Uh, almost back to the future style, right? Where he goes back in time and spends, you know, a week and a half in 1984 in his head. And then you make that comparison from, from then till now. I mean, it's significantly different the way, you know, we handle bullies today or we have our children handle them. Um, where back then it was, you know, it was like the MMA, right? You had to go in the octagon. So um, it was fun. It was a blast to be able to look at it from from an adult perspective. And then really most of the book is, is told through the, uh, through the eyes of a 12-year-old which is somewhat skewed, right? <laughs> Given that. Yeah. 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 I, I, it, it also begins to, the, the, the idea that he almost hypnotizes him. He almost hypnotizes himself to return. Yeah. Like kind of like Christopher Reeve in somewhere in time where he yeah. you know, surrounds himself in the surroundings of the, you know, the, the, <laughs> early part of the scene All right like yeah the rubik's cube and the magic eight ball and yeah. it, it was just so much fun when we launched this book steve we actually did it from a roller skating rink um so we you know we had the contest with you know the, the rubik's cube challenge and you know you had like a skate off uh but we had the pop rocks you who all the stuff that was really big in the 80s uh we had a couple hundred people it was just a blast to launch this book and um and i gotta tell you i've been writing for 25 years i've never written a sequel uh, you know, I have uh, 17 books out, seven of my national bestsellers. But for this book, I didn't feel like it was done. And uh, I've actually, I'm almost done uh, writing the sequel to it, which takes place in the summer of 84. Nice. Yeah. So when, when you write a book, I'm curious. I've, I've always wanted to write a book. And you should. I, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm fundamentally lazy or if I'm yeah. fundamentally kind of wed to the style of blog writing where it's like, I, I, I'm going to write 500 words today and that's going to be it. And right. tomorrow I can log in and write 500 words about yeah. the, the birth of happy meals or something. But <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you though, that's good progress toward a novel. So I think we should probably have a conversation yeah, offline yeah. really. Uh, but I am, I am curious, like how many hours a day or how many hours a week do you, do you, do you like set aside to, to work Yeah, on? I'm always at it. I mean, we don't go by page count. We go by word count. So the average uh, word count for my books is around 80,000. 
Um, it used to take me nine months to write a book. It takes me closer to four or five now. Uh, but I use my phone. I use different electronics where you take a notes down. It just seems more natural. And then I transpose them later. Really, you know, I, I don't write in a linear fashion. There are some, I know a few writers who will write from point A to point C. I actually come up with this, uh, you know, the concept of the plot of the story. I really, really spend a lot of time with characters. I mean, I spend a lot of time with the characters so that I know them completely. And then I'll storyboard it, which is kind of like an outline. And then, then you become a puzzle maker, right? So I'm, I'm creating all these scenes and then I put them together and really you have to uh, spend some, some real time on uh, the, the transitions and segues. But for me, that's the, that, that's what kind of works. Um, and I think I write better scenes by not putting them one after the next. What, what's your favorite part of the process? Uh, the edit, the final edit. Really? Uh, yeah, it really is. And, and, and I know that's probably sounds strange, but um, it's such a huge, I mean, if you're a type A personality, this is a really difficult thing to undertake because it's going to, you know, you're just chipping away, right, at an iceberg. So for me, once I get this thing done, and I'll say to my wife, listen, the first draft is done, like done. I can put it away, come back to it 10 years later if I wanted to. Um, but when I do come back to it with that fresh set of eyes and I do that edit, it's almost like reading it for the first time. Huh. Yeah, it's really strange and it's cool. And, and, and it's also torture, right? So it's, 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 you strike such a balance. I mean, I'm tormented over the writing. You can always do better. You're never going to perfect this, but, um, I'm also in love with it, right? Cause I'm, you know, creating something that didn't exist. So, so as you said, it's, it's also evil as well. Is that, so oh, is yeah. it conversely the worst part of the process or is there another part of the process that you sort of dread? Yeah, I think w when I'm writing the first 10, 15 minutes when I sit down is, you know, trying to get that train out of the station is torture, absolute torture. But once you, you know, you get going and, and, um, you think less about it, you just kind of pounding on the keys. Uh, once you start to gain momentum, then that's the magic, right? And then you enter into a place where you're almost eight years old again in your head. You're starting to believe this stuff. The characters are real. Uh, but the first 15 minutes, oh, my God, it's, you know, it's brutal. Yeah. Just brutal. I think, that, I think that's where the, uh, the train always stays in the station. For me. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, people know already because I've announced it at the beginning of the show, but you're, we're going to have copies of uh, Bread Bags and, and, and Bullies on the yeah. 80s cruise this awesome. year. I'm excited about that. And we're going to give them away at our trivia sessions uh, on the boat that we're hosting, and we're going to give them away during the live podcast. We're interviewing Berlin as one of our live podcasts on the trip. But uh, in the spirit of, of, of my job as, as a trivia host on the cruise, sure. I'm going sub to subject you to a, a short trivia challenge are you ready okay. for it? i am i'm absolutely ready okay. we'll see how i do all of these questions have been asked on a previous voyage of okay. the 80s cruise now I, I've, I've i've picked some of the simpler ones because uh you're one <laughs> you don't want to embarrass me well, I well no no not that year one and two we had like death threats you know really oh wow close to it people would pass us pass us in the hallway and go you're an asshole <laughs> <laughs> i love it so okay, here we it. go. I'm going to make a multiple choice too. So here we go. Thank you. Uh, question number one. Five questions. Pretty simple. Yep. Question number one. According to legend, what was President Ronald Reagan's favorite sweet treat inside the Oval Office in the 1980s? Jelly beans. Oh, see? You don't even need Yes. To. I don't even have to make up other options. <laughs> I get one right. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you're going to do well in this. I, I think, I think you've, you, uh, you sandbagged me a little bit. We'll see. Okay. Question number two. Eddie Murphy's delirious comedy series debuted in, on HBO in 1983. In this stand-up special, Eddie talks about his family cookouts. 
including an infamous fire-loving uncle and an aunt who had a mustache. What were their names? Oh, my God. I'll give you three choices. Okay. A, Ralph and Alice. B, Johnny and Goonie Goohoo. Or C, Gus and Bunny. I'm going to go with C, and that's a guess. <laughs> it's a good guess. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. That's, that's good. See, I'm two working for two. up to the Cupid doll. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, question number three, Huey Lewis famously played on the very first voyage of the eighties cruise, Awesome. but he also played uh, one of the judges in the Hill Valley high school talent show in back to the future. What excuse did Huey Lewis give Marty for rejecting his band? Option Thank number you. one, we just don't like the song. Option number two, your t-shirt offends me. Option number three, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. I'm going to say three. Yep. Excellent. He just came out with a new album a couple days ago. So there yeah, go. I actually read an article on it. I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, just, I'm glad he's making music. He yeah. is definitely, he's getting his fair share of uh, really great press and it's long overdue. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this one, I, this one, I, I really, I, I fear that this one might be too much for you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Please do. According to the TV jingle, what ingredients make up a McDonald's Big Mac? Wow. Two all, all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickled onions on a sesame seed bun. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Now, did you see the movie Coming to America? I did. Do you know the difference between a Big Mac and a Big Mick? <laughs> I don't. A Big Mick has no seeds. <laughs> okay. Nice. Question number five. I like your, I like your odds for question number five. Here we okay. go. In the Stephen Manchester book, Breadbags and Bullies, the Van Halen album 1984 is breathlessly awaited by our teen hero. Which of the following Van Halen songs is not on the album 1984? Is it Panama, I'll Wait, Unchained, or Top Jimmy? I'm going to say Panama. No. Oh. no. I think correct answer is C, Unchained C. from – okay. 1981's fair warning. So ma- wow. make sure you uh, work that into part two of the. Uh, I will. Part. I absolutely will. I'm writing that down. That's going in the sequel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that and the, the bun, Big Mick has no seeds. Oh my God. So here's a question I love to ask as, as a final question during interviews. And, and I'm really looking forward to your answer. Uh, we like to imagine here at Stuck in Ease that we have a podcast time machine. Okay. And we can offer you a seat to go back to any moment you want from the 80s to either just re-witness it again or change something about it? What event would you go back and either witness or change? I would actually go back to the first time that I ever saw um, MTV, right? Because for me, it actually changed everything. And, and I'm, I'm talking, this is going to sound really odd, right? But my grandfather was an amazing storyteller. Um, so I knew early on I wanted to be a storyteller. But there was that creative piece in me. Uh, the first time that I ever saw MTV, it's it's really strange, but it it, it kind of opened up everything for me. Like there were, there were possibilities, and there were, um, you know, what I mean, there was I don't want to say hope, but there were, there were, you know, what I mean, the world was opening up, and I said, man, I you know, I, I know I'll be able to find something within it that I can create. So I, I really would go back to that to witness it. That's that's a great answer. And there's nothing wrong with a little hope. Yes. Stephen Manchester, thanks for being on Stuck in the Eighties. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate it. Hey, Brad, that's my interview with Stephen Manchester. What a fun guy and a good sport. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Although, 
so is he from is he from the Boston area? I, did I pick up a little bit of an accent there? You, you saw that you saw that coming, did you? Oh my goodness, that's funny. Yeah, but yeah, what a, what a good guy, what a good sport to go through, take the trivia quiz and. He's he he whipped out the whole Ronald Reagan answer with the jelly beans really fast. I he just he was ready to go. Yeah, lots and loaded. Not an easy one. I was I thought I'd have to make up like a multiple choice form, but I didn't have to. So here's here's a question I have for you. Like I, I mentioned it to to Steve during the interview because I he's obviously referring to a past growing up in the Northeast where you had bullies and you got into fights before and after school. Uh, that never really happened to me all that much. I can only think of one fight, and it's almost too embarrassing to talk about. But I'm just kind of curious. I mean, you you grew up in different parts of the country. Did you ever have any fights in middle school or anything like that? I, I'm I'm sure you're going to have a hard time picturing this, but I was not a real uh, you know violence is the answer kind of guy as a kid, or really now. Uh, but that said, I can remember one fairly notable. Uh, I guess you'd call it a fight. Is it a fight if there's just one punch landed? <laughs> yeah. Or is that more a, of a skirmish? That's a great fight. <laughs> so I'm I'm standing. It's I'm, I think I was in seventh grade. I'm talking to my friend Joel, Joel's brother, who's a year older than him, is picking on him, and and I'm like, Hey, Brian, why don't you pick on someone your own size? And his friends are like, Oh, that's a good idea. And he's like, Brad, come over here. And they like have me, they have me stand back to back with him. And he's like, He looks like he's about your size. Maybe we should pick on you. And I'm like, oh, Okay, let's do this thing. And I, honestly, I don't remember really what happens at that point but the next thing is me getting punched Ooh, did you go down like so, a sack of potatoes um i don't think i yeah i probably did i probably did i ended up like around the side of the school catching my breath like oh my god what just happened and then i had to go get on my bus and go home and everyone's sitting on the bus staring at me like are you okay are you okay i'm like god, just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay so so you know, I have- I, i'm i'm owen one owen one in middle school fights <laughs> there's I'm sure there were little skirmishes. I mean, that's the age when you just kind of someone says yeah. the wrong thing oh, and someone pushes you. Middle school is just like Lord of the Flies. Here's, for here's everybody. The, here's the story I remember. I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast before, and I, I, I hesitate to tell it now. But I just I got to get it out of my system so I can. Like I, I kind of feel like when I tell a story on the podcast, I transfer it to the to the cloud. The hive mind. Yeah, take. I can I can empty it from my brain. It's uploaded like, to the board. You know, emptying like the, the ashtray out of your car. Like, it's gone. Don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> this must have happened one of my first two years of high school when I was still taking the bus. Because I didn't get a driver's license until my junior year. Sure. So I had grown up in the same neighborhood for maybe from about third grade all the way through graduation high school so i had people that i I had known for quite some time and you know you you form cliques and they evolve over time like you're with these kids who are into rush now or kiss now then you know you kind of move on to the new wave crowd or you know these guys end up you know yeah you know not even graduating from high school and these guys end up going to harvard You, you just never know well there was a friend i had who lived in the neighborhood down the street uh and i what shall we call him we're going to call <laughs> we'll call him down the street friend. <laughs> uh, we're going to call him Lewis. <laughs> I don't know any Lewises. Okay. So I, I feel fairly confident. Lewis Winthorpe? Was his last <laughs> no, name Winthorpe? Lewis. Is he big? Uh, did he drink Lewis a lot of orange juice? Was was about my size. We had been friends since, uh, you know, we were playing two-hand touch in the streets and football and going down, you know, you know, catching lizards in the creeks and stuff like that. So he and I had been friends for a while, but we, we 
we weren't close anymore. So one day he sits next to me on the bus for like the first time in maybe four years. Yeah, like where have you been? And I, I was immediately cur- curious <laughs> what what Lewis might want. And he got right to it. He's like, Steve, um, so I, I got to know. He goes, you know, how, how do you get a girl pregnant? And I was like, what? What? He's like, you know, when you're having sex with, I'm asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. He's like, when you're having sex with a with someone, how do you get them pregnant? And I, I don't even know what to say at this point. And then he says, "Do you just take a little pee inside her?" <laughs> and I lost my shit. I couldn't believe he'd said it. Yeah, and I thought he was kidding. But I'm also like a ninth grade asshole. Prime opportunity. You're you're gonna like bring it now. So I stand up on the bus, and I'm like, can you – Lewis just asked me if you get a girl pregnant by taking a pee inside of her. Big mistake. All, all this scorn gets dropped upon poor Lewis. Of course, and he yeah, must defend his honor, down. so I am challenged to a fight when we get off the bus. And he – I try to back down. I apologize. I tell him, I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I said that. You know, I, it was a stupid thing to say, and I – you know – I, I'm I am sorry. Not quite as stupid as thinking that you pee in a girl to get her pregnant, but pretty yeah, stupid. I mean, it just caught me so off guard. And so sure. he he's following me back to my house to to have the fight. You know, at this point, we don't even have a crowd anymore. Really, everyone's kind of given up on us that we're really not going to have the fight. And so all the the other ne'er do wells have <laughs> have gone their own way. But we get to my side yard, and he's just like, no, he's not having it. He must have his satisfaction. So he shoves me to the ground, <laughs> you know, and. I, Good day, sir. Slaps you with I, a glove. I, I grab his, I grab his jeans and yank him to the ground. In which case, we proceed to have your typical ninth grade fight, where we just basically spin around in circles in the dirt, trying to kick each other. Yeah, I don't, I don't think either one of us tried to land a punch. It was just a kicking fest, and it's um, just a yeah. It lasted about, I don't know. It, I'm sure it seemed like it lasted hours. It probably lasted about twelve seconds. In which case, he <laughs> felt he had achieved his level of satisfaction. And uh, went his own way, and I went my own way. And and that truly was the last fight I've ever had. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, it was the time for it, really. Okay, so I got that off my chest. I'm just curious. Is there anything else that you kind of connected with in this book that kind of felt familiar to you from growing up? One of the things that really made me laugh was his description, the, the character, the narrator's description of eating sugary cereal and, like, the, the ratio of milk, and then the milk is all sweet, and then you need some more cereal, and then you need some more milk, and you're like, you know, it's just never-ending cycle. Uh, and it's when I was a kid, my mother did not buy that kind of cereal. Like it was like Cheerios. Cheerios are good for you. Maybe some cornflakes. <laughs> and so it was all like pretty bland stuff, which honestly, that's what I eat now. But now I'm a grown up, so it's okay. But my mother would bribe us with sugary cereal. Wow. Like on Saturdays, she would need to practice for Sunday church service. She would need to go to the church and practice whatever hymns and you know the postlude and the prelude and all the stuff she's going to play on the organ. And she wanted us to leave her alone so she could focus for an hour or two. And so she, we would all go to church and we would like hang out in the youth lounge or whatever. And she was like, as long as you do not, if, as long as you do not come and interrupt me, and when, if you have not interrupted me before I come and get you, then I will take you to the grocery store and you can pick out whatever box of cereal you want. And we were like, done. 
no problem. I don't think we ever lost that bet. It was just like, we're like, yes, a box of Captain Crunch of my own. Is that what you picked? That's what you went for? Captain Crunch? No, I don't think so. I honestly don't remember what, what was purchased. It was probably whatever they were pushing heavy on Saturday mornings at the time. But it was just like, that was a that was a deal we never said no to. If I had a box of Cocoa Pebbles downstairs right now, you wouldn't. You, I would leave this podcast immediately, and you, you wouldn't hear from me for three days until the sugar wore off. Yeah, probably the chocolate stuff was probably was where we headed first. I honestly don't remember. I just know that when Mom made that offer, we were like, "No problem. Yeah. We'll see you when you're done." Yeah. Looking forward to going to United, checking out the cereal aisle. We we both are the uh, products of unique parenting strategies. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it was clever because it worked. We were happy. She was happy. That's just good. That was, you know, she landed on a good one there. Yeah. Uh, remember, people, uh, Bread Bags and Bullies is available on Amazon.com, and we will include a link to it when we post our show notes online. But in the meantime, there's some. There's another sugary delight that I can't get enough of. The, the Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. I don't know why I'm singing like a song. I just kind of am. It's a weird thing. I'm thinking of the Cocoa Pebbles. That's what it is. It's a strange Friday podcast recording session. The energy is going to be very weird on this show. I could go tomorrow morning to Publix here and get some Cocoa Pebbles. You could. And have that instead of the triple brand uh, English muffin that has become the tradition here at the Spears Lair. Hmm. That might do some interesting things to your body. You shouldn't probably combine them. That would really be bad. Whoa. But uh, yeah, the, the, the triple brand uh, English muffin, triple fiber, I should say. 17 grams, what by you the way. Just, just eat like a side of sawdust with that or what? Oh, man. It sucks to get old. Yeah. Uh, anyway, from show number 540, here was our mystery clip. You really want to hurt him? You really want to do some damage? Make it public. Uh, New York Times. No, no, no. No, I'm talking about a big expose. It's already public. That's The Falcon and the Snowman. Timothy Hutton and Sean Penn. Yeah. A long forgotten 80s movie. Uh, yeah. I was. I, I don't, you just watched it. I just watched it. And the reason I watched it is because I used. I pulled a clip from it. I was just looking for something interesting that I didn't think we had used. And this was, as you'll see from our winter list, winter list um, appropriately obscure. Um, yeah, but it's it's on it's on Amazon it's on. Prime, I think, right now, and it's been on TV a lot lately. Yeah, it's good. I, I enjoyed it. I will say, I had never seen it before. I just I knew of it. I knew about it. I hadn't seen the whole thing end to end. I mainly I knew the um, the David Bowie theme song, which doesn't really appear in the movie. It's just in the closing credits. The Falcon and the Snowman. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> not the one. That's not the one. It's close. That's the in the Falcon and the Snowman. That's in the animated Saturday morning series, The Falcon and the Snowman. <laughs> you know how the Falcon the, and the Snowman. The kids love the espionage stories. Uh, the pacing is yeah. a little slow. If there's anything wrong with it, the pacing is a little slow. But Sean Penn is just fantastic in it. it he's really young, obviously, but um, he is really good. Just in case you're 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 kind of waffling at home, not to continue the breakfast metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> About, about whether or not you want to see this movie. Uh, Timothy Hutton plays a kind of a low-level person in national security. And Sean Penn is, is his childhood friend. They've both grown up. Sean Penn's now like a drug dealer on the run. And they come up with a deal to basically sell U.S. Um, secrets to Russia. 
Yeah, who plays who plays Timothy Hutton's girlfriend? I can't. It's actually it's Laurie it's Laurie Singer. Laurie Singer is in it. A lot of amazing actors and actresses in that movie. So again, if for no other reason than the Falcon and the Snowman, this is <laughs> not stop America. Oh, that's right. That is what it is. It yeah, is it's uh, D- um, David Bowie and Pat Metheny. Pat ah, Metheny well, did the score. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, take take a quarter of a breath and read some of the winners. Winners this week include no, they don't include winners this week are Moo Man in Stittsville, Ontario, Brock in North Dakota, and Dale in Portland. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. I hate rednecks. You people are rednecks. It means I'm enjoying this shit. It's the Falcon and the Snowman. <laughs> I don't know. I. It's like I had the Cocoa Pebbles already. You're it's just so weird. I don't know. <laughs> Placebo pebbles. <laughs> if we just talk about whiskey, will I feel drunk in 10 minutes? We'll see. Anyway, if you know the answer, email us at podcast at SITDs.com and find out if you're a winner. Hey, it's the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. We will play a snippet of a song from the 80s. And if you get it right, you're into the drawing for a postal-friendly bottle opener. Oh. He sticks the landing. good this week. Yeah, it's all those cocoa pebbles. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem. That's, they would really get stuck in your teeth. But, the, I mean, obviously, they made better chocolate milk than the Cocoa Puffs did. And the Cocoa Puffs don't taste like anything because it's just like little little foam corn it, things. It's whereas the, the Cocoa problem. Pebbles were rice. Yeah, it's the Kix problem, really. You've taken Kix, which you are on the record as thinking are disgusting, and then you've tried to make them chocolatey, which is not really going to be a winner. Well, and then here's here's the irony. I don't know if that's the right word, Doctor Dim, but foreshadowing. We'll get to you here in a minute. <laughs> but uh, fruity pebbles, I can't stand. Oh yeah, no. Why would why would you do that? No, no. If you want fruit, eat a banana, idiot. I had bananas everywhere here. My girlfriend's dog loves to eat bananas for breakfast, so huh. okay, he will eat them and then eat them and eat them. Um, anyway, pay attention. Here was the clip from show number five forty. That's Everywhere by Fleetwood Mac. Great song. Have you ever seen them live? I have not. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan. No, I'm not either. So I, I think I'm just if gonna I was, piss off the, I, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna piss off the three dozen people who are about to read their names. You know, but that's, that's, okay. that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I think I prefer the Christy McVie stuff. So this is a good choice. I think if I was given a choice, I would rather go see you know exiled former member Lindsey Buckingham before I'd go see Fleetwood Mac, unless they yeah, were just gonna play Tusk for three hours straight, and then I'd go see them. Anyway, um, it was not very mysterious of a clip. A lot of people got it. I hope I got everyone's name, but uh, we'll insert the usual uh, disclaimer. Brad, you want to do the honor? Steve, I've just been waiting for you to ask. 
Winners this week include Terry living with bottle opener Envy in Perth, Australia. Apology accepted, Captain Nita. Tim Kelly in Asheville, North Carolina, who says he and his wife listen to all our shows during road trips and they're looking forward to trivia on the ship next month. Excellent. Bernie the Dutch Oven Lindemann from Sydney, Australia. Jeez, these names are like 40 lines each. What the heck, people? <laughs> Tighten up those nicknames a little. Dean, the captain from Castile. Oh, I know who that was. Kevin Serving Wench. Dave in Phoenix. Guest Jesse Elgato Grande Smith. Lynn with three ends in Nebraska. Brian the Wiener Gibson. Anna Norcal, who is Brad and LA's sister. Lou, sweet Lou, Grilly. Chris, living in the air in Cincinnati Adams. Mr. Whiskey. Stone, Stony Stit. Carlos in St. Louis. Rush Crest. Commodore 64 Will. Chip in Maryland. Christian in Duluth. Mark Ram. East Coast Alex. Jeremy in St. Pete. Dale in Portland. Bart, B-Man, Kopf, Gene and Gilroy, Kirk from Friendswood, Chris the 80s Queen, Israel D. Jane, Benoit St. Jean, Jeff and Charity in Richlands, Virginia, Moo Man in Stittsville, Ontario. I'm losing my place on this thing. Rock the Good Ag, Jeremy in Stashville, Janet, JFK Knott in Monroe, Louisiana, Dave in Oxford, John Ross from Charlotte, Matt in Florida, Joseph, Joe Bob, Purdue, and Bill Pops Bowers from the Russian River. Uh, let's spin the wheel and see who gets a... Postal friendly bottle opener. Like, where are we? I don't even know what happened anymore. I'd like, I feel like I'm P-F-B-O. reading names forever. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Spinning the wheel now. Looks like it's going to land on Dale in Portland. You are this week's winner. Send us your postal address and we will send you. Actually, you can decide. Do you want a postal friendly bottle opener or do you want a copy of uh, Bread Bags and Bullies? Next week, no one gets a choice. Everyone gets the damn book. I mean that in the nicest way. Damn it. I don't know. It's the whiskey kicking in. The imaginary whiskey. (laughs) We've got to wrap this show up soon before I pass out. Before you're imaginary angry. Or or as I like to say, lose time. Mm. Anyway, uh, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at SITDs.com. Really good at the enunciation today. Mm, it's the whiskey. Combination of the sugar and the whiskey. Uh, and tune in soon to throw off your wiener. It's a mistake. It's Hey, it's our new segment called It's a Mistake, where our, our lovable listeners get to write in and mock us. For the 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 innocent mistakes that we make every week on this show, my week my mistake this week was not learning to stop singing the Falcon and the Snowman theme song, which doesn't exist. <laughs> so I have one here for you, Steve, that is doesn't involve falcons or snowmen, but merely our old bugaboo pronunciation. This from Ask an Englishman. It's pronounced Whitstable, not Whitstable, even though it's spelled that way. So Whitstable, Whitstable Beach. From uh, Jack Whitstable Hughes. Beach. Where is and where is Whitstable Beach? Is it somewhere in the UK? Somewhere where limeys hang out. I don't know. <laughs> That's not nice. We don't call them limeys anymore. We don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Independent European Islanders. That's it. See, you have to stretch it out like like all of our listener nicknames. Oh, God, man, what is with you people? What, like you know, probably name your <laughs> dogs the- like those forty five word long like. You know, the real dog, the dog goes by Rover, but its real name is Rover St. DeLeon of Dogs Through the 
Kool-Aid the project. But you know what I love? I love Apology Accepted, Captain Nida. Apology Accepted, Captain Nida. Uh, we also got a letter from our old friend, Dr. Dim. Brad, why don't you take a whack at it? Okay, here we go. Dr. Dim writes, Hey, Steve, and also Brad, and Jen, she happens to be around. I feel like this is kind of casual. I feel like this is kind of casual letter, so I'm going to take a casual tone. Well, can I, can, I, can I interject right now before we even get started? Jen was actually here in Florida this week, and, and I hung out with her for a Oh, day. my gosh. How cool is that? Me, me and the... Me, the girlfriend, and Jen and her family all hung out for a day over by Disney. It was fun. Did so, you yeah, eat so conch she was, fritters? She did happen to be around. Hmm? Did you smoke Cuban cigars and each eat conch no. fritters? I, I gave I gave her lovely daughter some pop rocks and <laughs> thoughtful, which which Jen promptly hid from her. So. <laughs> That's just good parenting right there. Okay. So anyway, continue the letter. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Dim continues, I want to point out a mistake that Spearsy made after a recent email from Stephen Halifax, in which we learned of his playing the long game. In ca- yes, yes, we know, Dim. We were there. We read it. In which we learned of his playing the long game and capturing his high school crush's heart and marrying her 30 years to the day, exclamation mark, they met. Spearsy claimed he might be properly called cynical in his reaction to the story. Specifically, Spearsy wasn't sure about the 30 years to the day aspect. He believed the writer remembered the day he was wed, but wasn't sure he could be certain about the memory of the date the two had first met. This is not being cynical. It's being skeptical. Take it from a skeptic. I know of what I speak. Our friend from Halifax's memory could certainly be faulty. Memory is not videotape. And even if it was videotape, you don't have a tape player to play it on anyway. And it's okay to be skeptical about it, but I wouldn't get too worked up. However, if the letter writer was falsely adding that tidbit purely as a way to get your attention and to get his letter read on the show, that could be considered a cynical act on his part. And if Spearsy's reaction was not one of doubt about how clearly the date could be remembered, but rather one in which he called out our Canadian friend as attempting to manipulate Brad into reading the letter, that would be cynical. Fortunately, I do not think that either Steve was acting cynically. The other thing that occurs to me, and I'm sure this occurred to every XTC fan listening to Steve's letter, is the moment the comic book Sergeant Rock was mentioned, I expected to hear XTC's song Sergeant Rock from their album Black Sea, released in 1980, break into the show. Sergeant Rock is going to help me make the girl mine, wave the victory sign. (coughs) Fair use. (coughs) Problem. (coughs) Lawsuit. Of course, lyrically, the song was about how Sergeant Rock would assist in matters of love, which isn't exactly how it went in Steve from Halifax's case. (laughs) Still, it was an opportunity missed. Yours, stuck in the 80s, Dr. Dim. <clears throat> okay, Dr. Dim. I'm skeptical that Stephen Halifax was misleading us, and your suggestion makes me cynical to your entire analysis. I loved the story from Stephen Halifax, and I can't wait to meet him on the cruise, where I'm certain, but not skeptical, that we will take a group photo of all of us flipping you the bird. Did I use the words right there, Dr. Dim? Am I skeptical or cynical that we'll really take that photo? It's sort of the difference between calling Dr. Dim a or a Oh, okay. I see what you did there. For the record, I think the phrase you're looking for is and then you and he and you do and, and Wow. That's not skeptical or cynical. That's just uh, that's just mean, Brad. Uh, Dr. Dim knows we're kidding around. It's all good. Hey, that's all the time we have for this week. Don't forget to look for Stephen Manchester's book, Bread Bags and Bullies, on Amazon.com. And if you're coming on the cruise, hopefully we'll have a copy for you there. In the meantime, Brad and myself, along with this week's catchy mystery tune, remain here, neither skeptically or cynically, but instead hopelessly, 
Stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.